into a busy thoroughfare where people were streaming to join thousands of others awaiting the arrival of the Führer of the Greater German Reich. There was only a body for the Gestapo. It was not long, however, before they took up the hunt again. The Führer was standing in the open, slow-moving black car, acknowledging the hysterical welcome of the citizens of Vienna with upraised right arm, palm turned flatly back. His expression, naturally, was one of triumph. His contempt was masked. He despised Vienna and the Viennese. During his time there, from 1909 to 1913, he had never been appreciated, never been much more than a down-and-out. It was the German people who had seen him as a man of genius and accepted him as their Führer. The Austrians thickly lining the streets had either forgotten or were unaware of their erstwhile neglect of him. He was their Führer too now, and they greeted him deliriously, with a forest of saluting arms and Nazi flags. With him were his closest associates, and following on were column after column of his stormtroopers, standards flying. Baroness Anne von Corfax stood rigid as the cavalcade of cars approached. She was among the few in the teeming street who did not like what was happening and what might come of it. She shared with her mother a nostalgic love for the stateliness of old and imperial Austria, which, compared to the corrupt and bloodletting politics of the post-war era, had had so much to commend it. In a car containing leading Austrian Nazis, Anne saw her ex-husband, Count Ludwig Lundhausen, in his black uniform his dark, emaciated face looking ravaged rather than exultant. Anne knew him as a fanatical Nazi and a sour, embittered creature. She watched him pass by. She watched the moving cavalcade. She felt stifled by the pressure of people around her and smothered by the roar of their voices. She also felt shocked by the hysterical nature of their welcome to the high priest of the Nazi religion, some people were verging on frenzy in their adulation. She alone did not have an arm raised in salute to the stormtroopers. No, there was someone else, a man in a light coat and a brown hat. He materialised beside her out of the crush. She glanced at him, feeling his eyes on her. He gave her a little smile of recognition, which slightly startled her, since she was sure she'd never met him. About thirty, he had a pleasant, if somewhat rugged, countenance. His brief further smile seemed an acknowledgement of her glance, and the fact that they alone stood apart from the hysteria. On her other side, a youth wearing a miniature Nazi flag in his buttonhole had his right arm stiffly raised. His shouts of Sieg Heil were beginning to crack his cords. Aware that Anne was not sharing his enthusiasm, he dropped his arm and turned on her. "'What are you?' he demanded. "'A communist? A Jewess?' Receiving no reply, nor even a look, he said aggressively, "'You aren't welcoming the Führer, are you? "'Why not, eh? Why not?' Anne tensed. The moment was dangerous. In a crowd as intoxicated as this by the arrival of the Great One, an altercation provoked by her indifference to his glory could result in her being beaten and bruised. I'm not immune to events, 
she said quietly and truthfully. What's that? What's that? The young bruiser, who looked no more than eighteen at the most, considered her comment unsatisfactory, and he was quite sure her attitude wasn't what it should have been. Why aren't you? He broke off as the man in the light coat pushed in. Here, who do you think you're shoving? What are you wearing that for? The man's German was accented, his manner just as aggressive as the youth's. His finger poked at the little flag. That's the symbol of German greatness, and its invincible architect has just gone by. Yet all you can do is make improper advances to a lady. You need six months in a labour camp to get your priorities right and to improve your manners. The youth, flustered, said clumsily, Now you look. You wait a minute. Don't you talk like that.